if you search for my name, josiahmeyer.com, you can find all my previous sermons, uh, and you can listen to them uh, wherever you are, if you have a cell phone. Um, <clears throat> and I also put the sermon on YouTube. Uh, but anyways, yeah, last night our baby started throwing up, Enoch, and then uh, I got sick, and I started throwing up, and uh, the pr- printer wouldn't work, and I forget what else. It's just been kind of one of those, one of those days. <coughs> which I've learned to get excited about because it means that Satan doesn't want this to happen, which means I must be, I must be on to something. Either that or else I'm just not very prepared. Uh, and I left everything to the last minute and then got sick. It's one of the two. Um, but uh, the upshot of that, and I'm working my way around to an apology because I left my English notes on the printer on my mad rush out the door. So I'm going to try and preach this in English with my notes all in French. And what I've decided to do there, I have PowerPoints and notes in French, I'm just going to go from memory because I think if I start looking at my notes in French, ça va devenir français, and then I'll start speaking English, and je deviendrai a little bit confused. So I'm just going to go from memory, and uh, if you're wondering why I'm not looking up verses, I'm just quoting them from memory, it might just be easier for me than fiddling through my French notes. So I hope you'll just kind of forgive me for that. So the topic is the priesthood of all believers. And this topic came about because Michelle, about a year ago, well, yeah, last year, you had asked me to come speak. Uh, I spoke here two years ago, I think. I gave my testimony and I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, you had asked me because last year was the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. And you guys have, you're right in the thick of it. You have a lot of English Protestants and then you have a lot of French people with a, with a Catholic background. And so Michelle asked me, can you... Um, can you explain to us a little bit more about the Reformation? And I was honestly a little bit daunted by that because I know enough about history to know that it's hard to summarize history. Like, every time I talk about history, it's like, oh, there's all these things I'm not putting in there. Um, But, uh, long story short, a year later, here I am, and I'm talking about the priesthood of all believers because this is kind of one of the really central ideas of the Protestant Reformation. This is one of the sparks that ignited what became the Reformation. Uh, and this continues to be kind of the cornerstone, one of the, most, one of the really important cornerstones of Protestant belief. This is what we believe, and a lot of things come back to this and, and connect with this in some way. Um, and as well, this continues to be one of the major points that's between English, or, well, here it's between English and French, but what I meant to say is between Protestant and Catholic, that the Catholics believe that there is a priesthood and people get named to the priesthood, they get anointed, they get, they get blessed, and that's a, a lifelong blessing on them, uh, that no matter what they do, they can't lose that. And then there's the, the lay people um, that aren't priesthood. So there's this big distinction, whereas for Protestants, we believe there's only one group. Everybody that's a Christian, that's a true Christian, is a priest. So it's a really big deal. Uh, I want to say also at the beginning that I have to reference the Catholic Church. I mean, I can't preach this sermon without talking about the Catholic Church. But I want to make it really clear from the beginning, I'm not anti-Catholic. I don't have any grudge. I don't have an axe to grind against Catholics. I got Catholic friends. I've got Catholic family. Um, I, I don't have a chip on my shoulder for Catholics. In fact, there's a friend that I have right now. I'm very happy to have made this recent acquaintance. He's preparing himself to be a priest. Um, and uh, we have online discussions back and forth all the time, and, and we really enjoy dialoguing and discussing, and, and he thinks I'm wrong, and he's right, and I think he's wrong, and I'm right, but we're friends, and I think that's, it. That's, that's the way forward. That's, that's how we ought to be. 
Uh, we've had enough years of uh, hostility between Catholics and English. I think that we can, we can be friends, even if, we're not, uh, if, even if we don't agree. That being said, I'm Protestant. I don't agree. And so I think it's, it's the sign of a good relationship to be able to say, hey, I don't agree, and here's why, and let's have a discussion, uh, and then we can stay friends. So hopefully that's, uh, that's self-evident to you. So I want to start off by doing a survey of uh, the priesthood in the Bible. Because clearly, when the Catholic Church talks about priests, it's not like somebody just came up with this idea. It's biblical, right? There's priests in the Bible. So let's do kind of a Genesis to Revelation kind of whew, quick overview of what priesthood, what the priesthood is and what it means, and then how that applies to us. So I would begin this story all the way back in Genesis 3. So God, big picture, big idea that's going to carry us all through this sermon is that God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to have a relationship with his people. God created, God said, let us make man in our image. And he wanted to make a human being, a creature that he could have this relationship with, of worship and trust and walking together and living in harmony. But what happened to mess that up? Well, sin, sin came into the garden. And then what did Adam do when he heard God walking in the garden? He hid. And it's kind of a comical, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's, it's comical, right? For one thing, he's hiding from God. I mean, and also, he, he hides himself behind a little bush. And he's trying to, him and, and Eve are trying to clothe themselves with fig leaves. Now, fig leaves are small. They're like, like this, right? It's like a birch tree leaves. Like he didn't grab banana leaves or something. Like there's little tiny leaves. So if you can kind of imagine the picture of, of trying to hide. And what that shows us is that there's this, God wants to have a relationship with us. And we want to have a relationship with God. St. Augustine said that, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. And if, if you actually look at humanity, like 99% of all humans throughout history have had some sort of religion. And even atheists that say don't believe in God, oftentimes what they end up doing is playing around with New Age or yoga or something, because it's got this, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. We have this hunger for God, but what gets in the way is sin. And what happens when sin comes in is we get afraid of God. And we don't want him close. We, we, we push him away. We try and hide in some way. So the story goes on. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. There was the, the deal with the flood and everything like that. Until we got to Abraham. And God called Abraham and started a new relationship with him. He walked with him. He talked with him. He, he had a relationship. And he made a covenant with him and his descendants forever. But once his descendants became um, numerous, there was a problem. And, and God was trying to have a relationship with his people at Mount Sinai. He got them out of Egypt, delivered them, showed his power, and he tried to have a relationship with them. But on the side of the people, their sin kept on offending the holiness of God, and the wrath of God kept being poured out on the people, causing plagues, causing fire to burn, causing serpents. Because the people were grumbling, they were complaining, they were sinful, they were worshipping a golden calf. So there was this, continually this sin issue. And on the side of the people, there was the problem of, we're kind of terrified of this God. We're great, we're glad that he's on our side, but the fact is that he's not always on our side. I enjoy the song, uh, there's a popular Christian worship song, 
God is on our side. Who can be against us? You've heard this probably sung better than that. The reality is that God is not always on our side. And it's good that that song starts with an if, although it seems like some people sometimes sing it without thinking about the if. God is on our side. That's it. Not all the time. Not all the time. Um, and now I do need to look at my notes. In Exodus 20, 18 to 19... Exodus 20, 18 to 19. This is one of the, the theme verses that's going to carry us through as well. God's up there on Mount Sinai, and he just finished giving the Ten Commandments in his own voice, booming, loud, thundering. The people were listening to this. Now all the people witnessed the thundering and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. So they, they push Moses to the front and say, Moses, you go up there, you talk with God, but we don't want to hear this anymore. We're done. We're, we're freaked out. We're terrified. Moses, you go, and then you come down, and you tell us what God wants us to do. And so that's what Moses did. And that's what God did. He set up a priesthood. He set up a whole sacrificial system uh, to be an intermediary between God and the people. And the way it was set up, you, you guys have read the Old Testament, I'm sure, God sat, he dwelt in some spiritual way above the altar of uh, the, or the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark, where God's presence was, was in a small little section of the tent called the Holy of Holies. And the people couldn't go in there. Even the priests couldn't go in there except one, one priest once a year after a long ceremony. He could go in very briefly and come back out. So that's where God was and he was hidden from view. And then there was the holy place where the priests could go, but only the, the priests that were healthy, only the priests that were holy, only the priests that had followed certain rituals and were dressed in a certain way could go to the holy place. The Israelites could come to the courtyard and offer their sacrifices to have forgiveness of their sins. And non-Jews could come outside the courtyard, but they couldn't come in. They, they didn't have a right to come into the courtyard. So there's kind of this, these layers of protection depending on how holy you are, is how close you get to God. Now, Moses just walked right on through that and just went right into the presence of God whenever he wanted. And it seemed like he went about every day to go speak with God. But the people didn't have that right because there was, there was this distance that the people wanted, the people basically asked for. So what was life like, basically, for um, people under the Old Covenant? Basically, life for people under this this sacrificial system with the priests was you, um, you bring your, you, you, you come close to God two times, five times, ten times a year when there's the appointed feasts. I didn't count them out. I should have counted them out before I came, but there's a certain number of times that you come to the tabernacle every year and you come close to the tabernacle, but you don't go in because you don't have a right. You go to the priest and then the priests do the thing with God where they find, get forgiveness for your sins. So you come a few times a year, you bring your offering, and also you pay. So their way of paying was usually with animals because they didn't have money back then uh, for the most part. And so you pay also for the system to continue. But here's the good part, maybe. 90% more or less of your time, your energy, your money, your flocks, 90% is yours to do whatever you want with. Most of your time is yours to do whatever you want with. And your heart is yours to do whatever you want with. 
all that God requires is to come a few times a year, do these things, pay a little bit, and then you go back and you do your thing. So this is kind of life under the old system with the priesthood. So obviously there's some problems with this. First of all, the problem is, and, and the central problem to all this that God keeps coming back to, is that it doesn't change the heart. It doesn't change the heart. Um, and there's always a way to get around the rules. If you're a parent, you know this, right? Your kids are in the back seat fighting, your hands are on the steering wheel, you can't deal with them, and your brother starts whacking your, or your, your, your son starts whacking his sister, right? And you say, hey, stop whacking your sister. Sonny starts kicking his sister. You say, hey, stop kicking your sister. And then he starts, grabs a book or something and starts tapping her on the head. Hey, stop tapping her with a book. Just don't touch her at all with anything. You think that rule will work, right? And this has actually happened to me where then the child turns to his sibling and starts blowing. We had uh, one of our children especially had, we talked about a bubble. Don't get in his bubble. And, and we actually tell the kids this. That's their space. You know, his body is his body. And, and uh, the other boy would kiss his bubble. He would come up and go. <laughs> well, what are you supposed to say to that? <laughs> make a law against kissing bubbles. Uh, it's impossible to make enough laws to make people into good people. Because if the heart isn't changed, they're going to find a way around the laws. And this is what, as we get to the end of the Bible through the prophets, we see this over and over again, that God's heart was against the people of Israel. Yes, they're following the, the rules, they're paying their money, they're coming to the temple, but their heart is far from Him. And this is what Jesus repeats from Isaiah, Vainly that these people worship me, um, preaching as doctrines the precepts of men. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So there's, there's a verbal and a, and a superficial religion, but their heart, where's their heart? And so this is why Jesus came to establish a new, um, a new covenant with us. To transform the heart. There was a promise in Ezekiel 23, somewhere in Ezekiel, that said, I will take out their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. Somebody can find that for me if they want. That in the new covenant, it's going to be different. And in Joel, it said, I, I will pour out my spirit on all men. And the old men will dream dreams and the young men will, will uh, see visions. And God's spirit will be on all people, not just the prophets. This is the new covenant that, that Jesus himself sealed in his blood. This is the new covenant where the sin issue is dealt with. And where God begins his work with the heart. And afterwards, we'll start talking about how to live. And John talks about in uh, John 15 that Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who does not abide in me can do nothing. Apart from me, uh, you can do nothing. Abide in me so that you may bear much fruit and so that my Father may, may be glorified. This is the new covenant. This is where we live. This is our home. So let's, let's look just briefly. That's our biblical survey. Let's look briefly at a history of, of priests throughout uh, a survey of priesthood throughout history. So I am, I have a master's in theology. Um, I have taught church history a few times. I love teaching. That's kind of my thing. Um, just to let you know, I kind of know what I'm talking about, but there's always tons more to know. 
Um, so the early church, uh, it was a time of a lot of purity because there was so much persecution. To be a Christian meant there was a price. And what that meant is that Christians were serious about it. And they were very serious about their lifestyle. They were very serious about honoring and, and following God. Also, something that was different in the early church is that a lot of the bishops and the high up people in the church had a direct relationship with an actual apostle. So John the Apostle lived till about 110. And he had, uh, after Christ, Jesus died in 33, by the way. And he had, the, the Apostle John had a disciple, just like Paul had Timothy, John had Papias. And Papias lived another 40, 50 years. So all into the second century, the 150s, if you had a question about doctrine, what you would do is you would go ask Papias, well, what did John say, actually? And so it was this great way of, of keeping uh, doctrines pure. Um, yeah. So around the year 300, 313, Constantine comes on the scene. And by this time, Christianity had spread so rapidly that as, Christian, as Constantine looked out over his empire, which was huge, covering you know, from Spain all the way close to India, north up to halfway through Britain, the north shore of Africa, huge, the Roman Empire. But it was continually in danger of falling apart. It was so big, it was hard to administrate. People had a weak allegiance to the empire. And he was looking for some glue. And he said, well, most people nowadays are Christian, so why don't I use that? The problem with that, there's at least three problems with that. First of all, there's a lot of different ideas about what Christian doctrine is. Because during this time, anybody could write a book and then it would be received by the Christian community. It would be evaluated. People would say, well, that's not scriptural. This is scriptural. And it would kind of rise or fall based on its popularity. And he said, well, we can't have this. We need to control doctrine. And the second thing that he needed was uh, to get some control over the church, over the people. And the third thing he needed was to lower the standard of entry, lower the bar of entry. Because right now it's very, very difficult to be a Christian. You had to live a certain way. You had to give it all up. You, it was all about your heart. It was a, a changed lifestyle. We can't force that on people. So he said, we, we need to find some way to lower the bar. And this was, this was a process that took some time. It wasn't, it's not like he just woke up one morning and, and did this, but the church, because of Constantine, shifted dramatically. And really what happened is, in a lot of ways, it started to resemble the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And if you look, uh, if you're interested, Eusebius is the first historian of the church. And at the end of his book, uh, History of the Church, uh, he writes an, a letter to the emperor, Constantine, and basically says just this, that the church, the empire will be made this way. There's the tabernacle, there's the priests, and then there's the laity. This is how we're going to make the empire. And you can be just like King David. So that's how things were kind of structured. Not very long after that, well, 200 years after that, not very long when you're doing a 2,000-year uh, span, but Rome fell. And this meant that the whole empire fell into disarray and chaos. And then we start talking about the Dark Ages starting. Uh, of course, it wasn't all dark. There were good times, such as the Carol Carolinian Renaissance. Um, but it was certainly a dark time when it comes to education, when it comes to, I mean, the, the, the libraries were burned, the, the higher learning uh, universities were burned. But more importantly, there wasn't that peace 
and that safety that, and that prosperity that enable people to trade with others, to become prosperous and to have enough leisure time to actually study. So that's why we talk about the Dark Ages because there wasn't anybody that had enough time to write history, so we don't know as much about it as we would like. Also during this time, the Bible stopped being translated. So the Bible originally was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and then it was translated into Koine Greek, which was street-level Greek, not classical Greek, but street-level Greek. Part of it was written in street-level Greek, Koine Greek. And then uh, in 405, it was translated into Latin because people weren't speaking Greek anymore very much, especially in the, in the West. They were speaking more Latin. And so it was translated into Latin so that everybody could have access. Is it really? Okay. I love history. I could just go into so much depth. Okay, so the Bible, you know, was in Latin. Only the church could speak Latin. It, it fell out of the hands of the people. And the church um, it had a really important role of, of helping Europe get through the Dark Ages. But in the years 1000 and on, then there were the Crusades, where the, the church played a crucial role in trying to defend Europe from uh, Muslim invaders. And then there was the Inquisition, where they tried to purify Europe from within, from Islam and from you know, Christianity that wasn't pure enough. And the church took the sword in its hand at this point, and the character of the church changed drastically. And everybody will say, I mean, every responsible historian will say that the church was in a real mess around this time, around the Renaissance time, because there was tons of money, there was tons of power, and there was tons of corruption. That's not just the Protestants saying that, the Catholics will say that too. And this is why, this is, the corruption is really what pushed Luther to, to say, what is going on in the 1500s? He, he wanted to get back to what was the pure truth of Christianity. And so he went back to scriptures to try and understand it. That started the Reformation, in brief. So let's talk about some of the differences between the Catholics and Protestants on the issue of the priesthood. So for Catholics, the church represents a holy institution. It's not necessarily that the building, the, the stones and mortar is holy, but the institution itself is holy. That's God's presence on earth. That's, that's where God moves through. Because um, God saves us through the sacraments, through baptism, through communion or Lord's Supper, it's, and also through celibacy or, or, or holy matrimony. There's seven sacraments for Catholics. I can't do them off the top of my head. Um, but it's through these things that God's grace comes to us. And it's the church that controls these things. For uh, communion, it's actually Christ is literally there in the, in the wine and in, in, the, in the bread. You know this. Uh, and he is a bloodless sacrifice every week for the people that receive it. And it's through that sacrifice, very similar to the old, old covenant where something is sacrificed for your sins, that there is forgiveness. God has given his authority to the priests to forgive sins. So technically, if, if your heart is broken, you've repented, you're very sorry, you come to a priest, if he's in a bad mood, he could say, no, you're not forgiven, and you wouldn't be forgiven. Now, I don't think that ever happens. Right? But technically, that's the authority they would have because it's for them to decide who, who is to be forgiven. And usually, they will recommend penance, which is something hard or religious that you will do, such as saying the, the Hail Mary prayer or, or the, our Lord's prayer a certain number of times to show that you're really sorry and to pay some of the debt of your sin. Um, 
Outside the church, there is no salvation. This is something that Augustine said. This is something that's been repeated often throughout church history. Recently, there have been many Catholics that have said, no, people that aren't Catholic can be saved. But the pushback to that is to say, well, for Catholics anyways, you're saved through the sacraments. You're saved through communion and baptism. And communion is not given, Catholic communion cannot be given to a non-Catholic. It's only Catholics that can receive Catholic communion. And so it seems to me that this phrase, outside the church, there is no salvation. Um, in Latin, extra ecclesium nulla salus. Um, this is a, a good summary of basically what Catholicism teaches. On the other hand, the Protestant church, everybody's a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. I'm a priest. Nobody is laity. Laity is a category that does not exist for Protestants. There's either Christians and there's non-Christians. Jesus talked about, I am the door. Um, who, who comes through me will have salvation. He said, there, there is a narrow way that leads to salvation, and few there are that find it, and there is a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there are that, that go that way. There is one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved, then you're not saved. There, there is no distinction. Of course, God does call certain people apart to have a special role as pastor or as deacon, as teacher, to help the church. And I think Michelle talked about spiritual gifts last week, from what I heard. So God gives spiritual gifts to build up and edify the body. Uh, it's important to go to church, um, to be encouraged and to mutually uh, benefit from, from Christian fellowship. Iron sharpens iron, it says in Proverbs 27, 17. But we can have that relationship directly to God because Jesus Christ is our high priest and he is our intermediary. It says in uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So because Jesus is our mediator, we don't, I'll put it this way, you all came here to meet with God. But you're not going to meet with God through me. If it's not going to happen in your heart, it's not happening. Because i got nothing special to offer you other than the Word of God. The, it's, it's up to you to meet with God. And you're able to through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are saved by the death of Jesus if we put our faith in Him. And we are the saints. Paul starts most of his letters by addressing the Romans, the Corinthians, the Philippians, the Ephesians as saints. To the saints who are at Ephesus, to the saints who are at Rome, to the saints who are at Corinth. Now, this, the church of Corinth especially, they weren't perfect. They had a lot of problems. They had somebody sleeping with his mother-in-law in the church, and everybody was on board with this. They weren't perfect, but they were saints because of what God did for them in Jesus Christ. And altogether, we are the church. There isn't some big establishment on earth that is quasi-religious, quasi-political, that owns territory, that is a place to go and, and be part of the church. We are the church. If you're saved, you are the church. I have a few other notes I could say, but I would like to end with uh, Hebrews 
10.20. I mentioned in the first service that if, um, if these issues really touch you or if you're speaking with somebody that um, is wrestling with these issues, trying to understand uh, the priesthood and um, Catholicism and Protestantism, read the book of Hebrews. Because Hebrews really explains to Jewish people, hence the name, what it means that Jesus is our high priest. And what it means that we don't need priests anymore. Jesus is the priest. Hebrews 10.20 says, starting in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. Let us draw near to God. Voyambo. <laughs> Everything's falling apart. Um, it's not guaranteed just because we're Protestant and we believe that there's priests, that we're all priests and we're all saved. There's not a guarantee. That's, he's writing to Christians and he's telling them, draw near. Why? Because we can fall into the same thing. We can, fall, we can go exactly the same place. And somebody asked a pastor one time, why is God so far from me? And he answered, you're always as far from God as you choose to be. You're always exactly as far away from God as you choose to be. Now, you might not feel him right now, but if you choose, you can go to his presence. And I think the reason that a lot of us feel so far from God is because we're afraid of him. Honestly, we're afraid of him. What if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if, he, what if it's going to cost me something that I don't want to pay? But even deeper than that, there is a terror that comes with being vulnerable. And it's something that many of us married people fight with on a daily basis. You know, the lights turn off, you're, you're both in bed. You have that opportunity to talk. Will you be vulnerable? Or will you go on your cell phone and check Facebook? It's hard to be vulnerable with someone. And it's terrifying to be vulnerable with God. Which is why Paul writes to Christians who know they are priests, who know they are saved. Let us therefore enter by a new and living way, which Jesus made for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, pure water. Let us pray. Our daddy in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please give us the things that we need to live today. Please forgive us for the sins we've done as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but protect us from the evil one. For, thine is the, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We just come to you because you are our daddy and we need you. And you've made a way for us to enter. But sometimes we don't want to. It's work. It's costly. It's scary. But Daddy, please don't let us make that excuse. Today, 
as we hear your voice, may we not harden your heart, but may we enter in to your presence by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in his name I pray, amen. It's pretty wild up here sometimes. Yeah. <laughs>